one minute into the hour of five o'clock on a beautiful Monday in May in Moab, Utah. Oh, marvelous. The show is This Week in Moab, and I'm your host today, Christy Williams. Dunton, a real pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. You know, the docket tonight for This Week in Moab is stacked, stacked like a bunch of pancakes. We're going to dive into the sweetness right away because we only have just a minute with a wonderful person named Rachel Wooten. We're going to start with her about uh, an event that I feel is not something you hear about every day, could affect positively the jobs in Moab. Stay tuned for that. We'll also have Nara Bop talking about an event that's happening on May 17th, all about uh, making it hurt less. August Granath will round out the show talking about the economic diversification of place and how we spend the dollar dollar bills, y'all. Okay, uh, welcome to the studio, Rachel Wooten, the public affairs specialist with the Bureau of Land Management here locally. Hi. Hi, good evening, everyone. What a, a what a cheery face that looks so full of information, uh, a sparkling opportunity to meet you, Rachel. You've been here for how long as the public affairs specialist? I've been here for about two years as the public affairs specialist for the Bureau of Land Management Canyon Country District. And before that? Before that, I was based in Salt Lake City, also in public affairs for the Bureau of Land Management. And you look like... I'll I'll just put it this way. You have the West in your auric field. Um, where do you come from? Yeah. So I grew up in northern Utah in Logan, actually Providence, if folks are, are familiar with that area. But I just feel so lucky to get to continue to live and work in Utah, especially in the in Canyon Country. It really is a remarkable place to live a life, isn't it? And the trick, the trick among the many that there are, is to be able to be employed enough to pull the rent together. And and also, uh, you're lucky if you're able to work with the land itself, because it's such a uh, an entity to itself, isn't it, here in, here in Moab, Utah? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I work for the Bureau of Land Management, obviously, and I feel pretty lucky to get to go out in the field sometimes and help people explore their public lands or or learn about them in my job. Okay, so for people that are uh, maybe not completely familiar with the mission, there's a a whole multiple use facet that sets it apart from other land management agencies. Why don't you describe a little bit about the BLM and about the event that... um, you've come up to share today. You bet. So the Bureau of Land Management has a multiple use and sustain yield mission. And what that means is we manage public lands for many different user needs, many different uses, and for many different resources on there, right? There's cultural resources, natural resources, all all kinds of things. And um, I, I love our mission because I think it's exciting to get to be exposed to issues every day and challenges balancing those things. But yes, today I'm here to talk about open houses that we're doing their career-focused events. Uh, We'll do two this week in Moab and two in Monticello. And it's actually starting in the Bureau of Land Management Moab field office right now. Right now. So you're catching us right when the, well, we'll say the tea and cookies are happening. (laughs) And then you're going to slide in and be able to 
share with people about the employment opportunities that are happening. This is why I'm like, oh, what does what does BLM do for people that may not know? What are some of the jobs working with the resource area? Yeah, so um, there's a lot of different careers that people can have with public land management. Certainly, you know, we have our recreation jobs, dealing with members of the public, helping folks find their way on public lands. We also have folks that do engineering, folks that do like myself, public affairs, public information, our kind of administrative team and our managers, um, all, all kinds of positions. And today we actually have our human resources team down from Salt Lake City. So the experts in how to get a job, how to apply and, and what these positions look like here to speak with people about different options that are currently open. Well, that's very exciting. Um, now, people may also never have had a federal government job before or know anything about the GS system. Mm-hmm. Most of these are starting at GS 5-7. Where are we? Yes. Okay. So you obviously know a little about the, the federal federal hiring. So a lot of our jobs um, that we're advertising here do start at that kind of 5-7 level and certainly go go up and people can move around as they kind of get experience or um, other jobs. I know we'll have an outdoor recreation planner job that starts at a 9-11. So it kind of depends on, on what your interest is. But and background and also education. <laughs> I mean, I think for many people that's sort of a barrier to applying is thinking, well, you know, I'm not a soil scientist or uh you know, you think about the educational uh, requirements, yeah. uh, and it seems like one would need, oh, a background in sciences to uh, work in land management. Is that a misunderstanding? So some positions, I was actually talking to HR today about this, some positions do have what they consider a positive education requirement, which specific education, but many of them don't. And so your experience, whether it's volunteering or in school or in the private sector, may actually uh, you know, get what you need. And so the, the tip that they have is apply, right? You don't know if you're qualified or if you can get the job unless you apply. So Obviously, I encourage folks to go to USA Jobs, the USA Jobs website. You can Google it or come down to the open house tonight and speak with us a little bit more about careers. Okay, so even public affairs, fire, recreation. I'm just reading your wonderful flyer, uh, business admin, operations, natural resources, cultural resources, Uh that it all looks very appealing to find out exactly what these are and how to uh, get the resume tips or the exact lingo that's going to trigger a positive application uh, today and tomorrow in Moab. And it looks like uh, Wednesday, Thursday in Monticello. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. Okay. Um, 5 to 7 p.m. Um, so a deeper look at all of the careers if people want to scope the jobs, is there an online place to get a feel for it? Yes. So our, the website that we post all of our job opportunities is usajobs.gov. So usajob.gov. usajobs.gov. Oh, great. And then uh, the BLM itself has a website specific to Utah, right? Yes. And and you can find out a little bit more about that there. Yes. Uh, okay, great. Mm-hmm. 
what else do we want to say? I, I, I was kind of curious about it because I have been here for a while and actually worked uh, a GS57 job way back in the day with the BLM. Wonderful it was to be able to go do uh, water sampling at Wind Whistle Campground and say, oh, <laughs> that's a rattlesnake. Okay, I'll just back up a little bit right now. Uh, so wonderful to be able to connect with that and be all the way out there and know that I was doing something small but important. Um, I'm, I'm wondering then about the, uh, if you can describe a day out with some of these jobs. Yeah, so you're, I have found that I don't always know what I'm going to do that day when I go to work. And, uh, you know, you might find that you're, um, out in the in my job, I might find that I'm out in the field with specialists, maybe taking photos or helping tell their story, or I might be in the office. So it really depends on what your what your job is. But I feel very lucky that um, in you know public affairs or it, for the Bureau of Land Management, you do get to go out and you might spend your day driving around, um, you know, seeing something kind of unique or dealing with dealing with an issue or some of our folks even spend time on the river doing monitoring or, you know, out talking to visitors. Wonderful. And then so that's that's a little bit about the natural resources, mm -hmm. right? And and cultural resources, I'm assuming, has a little bit to do with, uh, let's say, being out there and do you do interp sometimes? So our archaeologists are super knowledgeable about, um, you know, the area, things like that. They often go out and they'll do monitoring as well. They'll work with volunteers sometimes to help with monitoring. They also spend a lot of time in the office, right, doing, doing reports, working with their counterparts at the state or other federal agencies too. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting, different exciting tasks. It seems unusual that you would be doing this locally. Uh, uh, historically, you'd put a posting out in some obscure, giant, bureaucratic place that only people inside the system can even see. Or, or maybe, you know, job services here locally. But this is an opportunity where you're actually scanning here locally. Can you describe a little bit about that? Why you thought, hey, you know what, we'll just check locally first? Yes, yeah, so certainly um, federal jobs are open to to everyone to look at on USA Jobs, but we we live and work in this community, and we want people, other people who live and work in this community, to feel welcome and feel like they can apply and have the tools to apply. So. I'm really excited about these open houses. I know our team from Salt Lake, as well as other other folks here locally who work for the BLM. You'll you'll see your neighbors and your friends helping at the the open house too. If you know folks that already work for the Bureau of Land Management. Great. So an open house uh, indicates just casual, not something presentational. Come at five, leave at seven, or else it's mm -hmm. it's drop in, right? <laughs> exactly. So oh, yeah, fantastic. drop in, and yeah, our office in Moab is at uh, 82 East Dogwood Avenue. So if you know where the Village Market is, we're just kind of down the street um, from that. And our office in Monticello is just on Main Street in Monticello. You'll see it as you drive through. What's your favorite thing about the land here? There's an element that um, we'll even say we'll narrow it down for you about spring. Oh, spring. I'll say this spring, I have loved the wildflowers. I 
have just been shocked at how green it is right now, and mm. and it's been amazing. Indeed, do you do you ever deal in the riparian areas with uh, remediation of something like? Do you work with the mosquito abatement? Do, how do you do you work with the uh, you know the insect populations? How is it? So I don't personally. I will say I personally am not looking forward to mosquitoes but um, we do have a team we have a aquatic biologist and a hydrologist on our team who work with our local partners a lot and I can't speak specifically to mosquito um, issues but I know that's something on my mind. (laughs) Well uh, wonderful to be able to hear how many different uh, jobs are actually open right now that would be great for people kind of what I'm hearing is if they have the interest in these areas uh, not to let let's say educational background necessarily be a barrier go in apply Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly even if a job isn't open now, there this is a time to, to learn about different jobs that could be available and look for those and, and kind of learn how to find them. And once you're in the system, so to speak, uh, and working with uh, the BLM, then you do become aware of positions that are available within the GS system and you can navigate. There's a little career mobility for you. Is that right? That is right. Hmm. Does it require always that you move away or can you uh, move up from Moab and stay in Moab? um, It really depends on, you know, what openings are available. But I'll say that we do have a lot of jobs and I personally hope that people stay and grow their careers here with us in Moab. (laughs) Rachel Wooten, thank you so much for sharing the sunny news of of your face and the event and... um, helping Moab stay employed and local and serving the the lands and the people here. Well, thank you, and thanks for your time. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so again, that's tonight and tomorrow night, right here in Moab, Utah, 5 to 7 p.m. I'm sure you can get a hold of Rachel. Uh, You can just ask for the public affairs specialist, or remember Rachel Wooten at the BLM here in Moab. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Our very next guest is uh, a pro at this particular thing called the segue of guests. Such a pro, she can just walk in, sit down, and say, hello, right at home. See? Smooth. This is my spot. This is Mike, too. As smooth like as to be. silk. Thank you. Nara, Nara, Bob, I'm really intrigued about this particular event that you're going to talk about today, uh, a harm reduction event that's happening this week for a lot of reasons. Um, it seems like a very accessible way to deal with what we'll just call ambient anxiety and trauma in the people. That's a very nice way to put it. Absolutely. <laughs> And that's a, that in and of itself is a form of harm reduction, right? Reframing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's a moment when you can just reframe all you want and go, <laughs> the whole structure is crumbling and I, I need help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's hard to recognize that spot going it alone, though. It is, and it's, it's a, a different spot for every single individual. So harm reduction is really this approach that... It's so interesting because it's it's both nothing and everything. It's like this idea that, um, you know, we all 
practice daily because when you think about wearing a seatbelt or using sunscreen, that's harm reduction, right? It's acknowledging that things you do have risk, but how can you still do them? And why is it that uh, some of the stuff that you love to do the most is stuff going to kill you? (sighs) It's so true. It's the human condition. Ah, the paradox of it. But there's a balance point. There's a way (laughs) to proceed in the world with more support that that can kind of act like your training wheels, a little support to keep you on track, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you are working with a hospital, Correct. and your title is? That's a, a great question. Um, I'm the grants manager currently, so we have oh, one. Around yeah, a lot of a lot of roles within one role. But currently, we have um, a fairly large federal grant that we've had for two and almost one half years. Wow! Um, and that was key in helping us build the Moab Regional Recovery Center. It's mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Moab Regional Recovery Center is a, a small building that's part of Moab Regional Hospital, but a separate little outpost. Um, and in that building in particular, we offer substance use treatment. So it's a dedicated outpatient clinic. Um, the grant also funds mental health services within the hospital, but there's there's some overlap, obviously, and then there's places where there isn't very much overlap. So we do it all. Harm reduction principles. Maybe we can just talk a little bit more about that, but this event coming up is for both individual community members, but then also providers, uh, all all. All the people. Yeah. So we should. I, it's a little tricky because we have two events in one day. One of them is a deep, deep dive. It's an eight hour training that's specifically for people who work with individuals. <laughs> We're trying to keep it sort of vague. Um, it's counselors, it's therapists, it's doctors, it's organizations that provide social services. So anyone who does a lot of one on one with clients, this all day training is intended for them. Is it um, free? It's free. Yes. And it's something we were able to pay for with our grant funds. So it's a very reputable trainer that is based in Washington State who is coming here specifically to offer this training. That is incredibly exciting. I think I should come. Yes, it's super interesting. Um, we, We found this trainer at a conference about harm reduction, actually, and identified this um, organization that provides training as like a really good fit for our community and with everything that we fund with grant dollars we want to make sure the impact is as big as possible locally so our solution was to import this training and offer it here so we have an all-day training that um, we really ask that you do sign up for and you can do that by contacting me which i'm sure we'll go over again and then we also have a free community intro session so that's an hour and a half super basic kind of an overview of harm reduction and that's that same evening these are all taking place Wednesday, <laughs> so in two days. The day after tomorrow. The day after tomorrow. 5, 10 p.m. is what my note says. Huh, it's, uh, it's uh, 6 p.m. Is it 6 p.m.? Okay, so there, there is why we do an interview. Exactly, yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And okay. this is one of those, there are, there are a few different versions of uh, the time and place floating around out there, so I'll try to clarify that a few times here and then... When in doubt, just contact the hospital and we'll point you to the right information. 6 p.m. for the shorty intro mm-hmm. on Wednesday night. And I love some of the principles of uh, harm reduction as an idea, whether or not we're talking about recovery from something like a uh, d- dependency on uh, drugs of any kind, 
but meeting people where they are. Mm-hmm. Talk a minute about that. It may be my favorite one. Yeah. So um, when we talk about harm reduction with this training, we're talking specifically about substance use disorder. So providing treatment to people with a harm reduction framework definitely means, yes, meeting them where they're at, where they're at, and acknowledging, I think, the center, like the core thing here is to acknowledge that people do use drugs, right? Because you can't really treat people if you're not willing to acknowledge that. You can't really approach any societal issues if you're just kind of blanket, just say no, abstinence only, right? That's We've tried that approach as a society and we found that it doesn't really work. So part of the harm reduction model is meeting someone where they're at, acknowledging that not everyone is actually ready to or interested in completely abstaining from all substances and still finding a way to help them improve their lives, whether that looks like counseling, whether that looks like social activities, whether that looks like medication that can help them manage some of their dependencies. So it's a really kind of full person approach. Choose one that's a little less harmful in other Mm -hmm. ways. Yeah, Yeah. mitigate the harm. There's Um, a way to do anxiety reduction that doesn't, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And what I, I think what we've kind of seen is that when you when you say, like, just say no, and that's the only option, you ignore the very real risks that do come with some forms of substance use, right? So, like, infection is a really good example when people are injecting drugs. So if you're saying, no, come back when you're not using drugs, you're missing an opportunity there to educate, mm-hmm. to provide people with resources so that they, well, they may not be ready to go into recovery, they can at least avoid infection, right? They can avoid transmissible diseases. They can take steps within that to just essentially, it sounds really like, you know, binary, but stay alive, right? That's, that's what we want for everyone is stay alive. First things first. First and foremost. Stay in the boat. Mm -hmm, Exactly. You can't, something I hear a lot in the, um, in the work that we do is, you know, you can't be a person in recovery if you're not alive. So that's really the framework. It's <laughs> and it's helpful to remember that because I think a lot of people have trouble with some of these concepts because they see it as enabling, they see it as encouraging mm. drug use or alcohol use or whatever we're whatever we're looking at, right? Uh, there's a stigma under there's a there, stigma. Isn't there mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> there's a lot behind why we hold judgments about that, leaning mm-hmm. on people for using uh even a whole kind of preference about which ones are good drugs and which ones are bad ones. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You can be dependent on all of them, can't you? Yeah. And Coffee, I'm looking at you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's my number one. Like, couldn't do anything without it. Coffee harm reduction? You could think of some things, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe a little creamer would help <laughs> with your stomach acidity, things like that. It's a fun <laughs> sort of framework to try to apply to anything and everything that you do because... There's always a way to make something maybe a little bit safer or a little bit better. A lot of it we just do without thinking, but a lot of it, it's kind of that next level, right? So you have to get away from the mindset of just don't do <laughs> this, right? Just don't have this behavior. Just yeah, don't. Yeah, so it's sort of like let's get real and and help each other mm-hmm. and leave the dogma of the binary all or nothing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. And then I love this other principle that it's a health issue, not a criminal one. Mm-hmm. Uh, drug use. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bring it. Tell me. <laughs> yeah, I'll go there for okay. sure. I mean, alcohol is a really good example, right? Like we know alcohol to be something that is socially acceptable within certain parameters. It's legal in most settings. 
Um, it's it's essentially sanctioned, right? But it is a substance that does a lot of real health harm mm-hmm. and a lot of damage. But if you think about alcohol and how we think about it, right? Like if someone is drinking, you're not you don't immediately go to bad. Mm-hmm. That's bad, right? But it is a substance that we know that can do a lot of damage. When you look at something that's illegal, if you look at heroin or if you look at, you know, methamphetamine, that's a very different like mindset for people. They look at that and they think, oh, I've been told that this is like illegal and therefore bad, right? They think a lot about like the criminality of it before they think necessarily about some of the other impacts. And that's something that we've all been trained to do. The social acceptance piece of it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've come a long way with marijuana. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, a, that's an even better example. That's something that's totally shifted in a lot of states and communities to be acceptable within certain parameters. And that also speaks to why things that are regulated are often safer. And that's a form of harm reduction too, right? If something is consistent and if the supply is checked and managed and overseen, then it's way less likely to contain like a fatal contaminant. So that's a really good example. Do you think that there is a sort of, I guess, larger framework understanding of how uh, rampant, perhaps even global PTSD is and how that feeds into habits to Mm. try and relieve yeah, I think uh, that existential, you know. <laughs> I think that that's a, I mean that's another core tenet of harm reduction is understanding that all kinds of like negative and traumatic life experiences make people much more vulnerable to dependencies. Mm. At the same time, there's also a really strong genetic component, and that's the thing that we don't always think about. So I think there there's a really delicate balance between thinking like someone's actions and behaviors are a result of something that happened to them, right? Mhm. And understanding that sometimes, like, one out of three people at a party are just going to have a way harder time, like, putting that next drink down Mm -hmm. because of all kinds of factors. Some of them, many of them, that happened before they were born. So I do think that, like, there's a tendency to assume that someone is, um, has experienced something traumatic, right? And that's why they're utilizing a substance to feel a certain way. But sometimes that's not the case. And it's really interesting to start to really look at some of the data that we've been able to get over the last like few years about these conditions where it's like, okay, that helps with the stigma a little bit, actually. And that's why the opioid epidemic has been so incredibly impactful in society is because everyone is pretty susceptible, right? Like Mm -hmm. we started seeing people that don't fit into our stereotypical categorization of people that have addiction, right? Dying from opioid overdoses. So that's something that I always try to point out as like that reframed it for people, right? It's very addictive. It's very like fatal <laughs> when used inappropriately. It's not it a doesn't discriminate. Matter of being of higher moral fiber. Mm-hmm, exactly. So sometimes that's helpful to frame it. So there's a lot of, yes, there are a lot of societal issues. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of just honestly, like, you know, we all need some form of escape and release. And that's why. I think acknowledging that like humans do use substances to feel certain ways on a daily basis is a key when you're thinking about all of these things and then getting deeper into why we think some things are good and some are bad is when you start to really understand your own biases and where those might've come from. Juicy terrain to explore. It is. It's so fascinating. Individual 
a community member or if you have a professional role as a provider uh, to help people uh, grapple basically with living. Uh, this is, again, Nara Bob, who <laughs> works as a grant writer, but we'll just say is also a communicator for things happening over there at the Moab Regional Hospital. And this is specifically a harm reduction event um, day after tomorrow, all day then for providers. Mm-hmm. And um, I love this other principle uh, that the opposite of addiction is connection. That's just so um, deep, really, and so beautiful. Yeah. So scalable. It is, absolutely. And it's it's another really big, important thing that gets missed sometimes is that you absolutely need social connections in addition to any kind of treatment that you're getting. And we're seeing that be incorporated a lot more. We're having, you know, we have like USARA locally, an organization that does peer support and offers sober social activities. And that's been really amazing in our community. Um, And then also when you um, preclude someone from getting services by saying like, no, you have to be a hundred percent like, ready and for you know, 30 days exactly or then then you are missing an opportunity to connect with that person so to embrace people where they're at really does create more opportunities for social connectedness and eventually i think you know we see that the odds are gonna be much higher that they are ready to engage in recovery it's so great and so this is also sharing uh not just about this harm reduction model with a little bit of educating uh data but an opportunity to network, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. and to find out what resources are available through the center. Uh, what do you want to say about what this evening is going to be about? Yeah, I mean, I think for those that are unfamiliar with the, the terminology that we're using right now and that's being used more and more frequently, so just the concept of harm reduction, this is a really great introsect sort of just opportunity. Um in terms of the community resources that are available, it's been really great to, to come together more and to collaborate on things like this and see that there are several organizations actively doing harm reduction work and that we need them all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and anything we can do to better equip um, other people in the community to provide services that are harm reduction informed within their practice, that's going to be a really huge win. I think of it as something that utilizes community on a lot of levels because because of what you mentioned about interconnectedness and just being social and all of that we have to have many different people on board and we have to have um it sort of become the standard when we talk about these things and i think every time we have a training every time someone implements this into their work we see that happen more and more I think Moab and Ground County are, uh, the population is just the right size to be able to use village-shaped analogies uh, Mm. for therapeutic means. I'm thinking about communities in Africa who, uh, when someone uh, does some kind of uh, violation of the community norm, uh, maybe some violent act, they gather around this person and rather than punish them, gather around them and say, what does this person need? And the circle and the holding hands and all that's very, very important part. Yeah, that's a good point. I think when people are experiencing um, problems related to substance use here, they probably are interfacing with, you know, any number of social or like city run groups or forces right so to have the ability to be consistently approaching this person with the same sort of framework i think that can help a lot 
And I think the harm reduction model also really does emphasize like, you know, recovery as an end goal, but knowing that there are many steps on the way that can be taken. And a lot of them are not punitive and a lot of them are not criminal justice related, right? There is an in-between that we can focus on. So this would maybe be great for uh, parents of, of young people struggling with alcohol abuse or maybe adult children of alcoholics who have a certain kind of AA framework that hasn't mm. worked and mm-hmm. yeah. told a certain thing, got to be a certain kind of way. Yeah. Uh, the training really, so if we look at it as a client, whether it's a client or a, a child or a friend or a family member, um, the training will focus kind of around using um, something called client-led tracking of preferred metrics. So basically, instead of saying, here's where we need you to be, we're letting someone say like, well, here's where I'd like to be and here are some of my goals, right? So the training focuses around that. There's some sort of role-playing, um, some interviewing techniques, some harm reduction goal setting, and then some safer use strategies. So going back to the idea of preventing sort of secondary diseases or infections, um, that's some of the stuff that's encompassed in safer use. So or all of that. yourself feel better about just less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just less. Right, less, um, making sure that you're, you have social supports, making sure that you have like some of the amazing things that we now have that can prevent overdoses, right? So having naloxone on hand, being trained how to use that, that's something that's going to be touched on in the training. A lot of really that's cool tools opioid, to have. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's specifically for opioid reversals. So that's or opioid overdose reversals. And that is what we are seeing as the most fatal <laughs> overdose cause is opioids sadly mm-hmm. sadly and you'll be sharing a little bit of the data around uh, use and overuse and abuse and all those things uh that feed into the uh framework of harm reduction mm-hmm. right yeah and it's it's very it's always moving right there's always new things coming in to the supply there's always things coming through Moab specifically that we have to be on the lookout for so there's it's a constantly changing field but a lot of the principles really are the same the tools can be a little bit different when it comes to preventing certain fatal responses, but for the most part, using the same approaches is the way that seems to be <laughs> the best way forward. I appreciate this so much, Nara Bob. Yeah. Uh, I, it's, it's something so comprehensive. I think this is the piece that gets overlooked a lot in reportage, um, just observing that everybody... Everybody got their something. Yeah. Everybody leaning so on true. something. It can be really oversimplified and it can be really overstigmatized. And, you know, that doesn't really get to the core of the problem. Mm. Thank you so much. Is there anything else we want to say about the beautiful small things of uh, finding our way to connect? Uh, I do want to just plug again the services that we provide at the Moab Regional Recovery Center. Um, So as I mentioned, it's a full service outpatient clinic for all kinds of treatment services, whatever that might be for you. Um, We also offer office-based opioid treatment. So we have methadone that we dispense from our clinic. We have um, recovery resource engagement services. We have group therapy. It's super comprehensive and it's super awesome and it's right here. And that's like a huge win for a community this size, right? Very much so. Not the norm. 
And it's not, uh, there's not as big of a uh, cost barrier as people might fear. Tell me there's good news about Absolutely, that. yeah. So it's it's the same as any service at Moab Regional Hospital. You know, inability to pay is never going to prevent you from getting services. Um, there are more funding streams specifically associated with certain services in the treatment clinic. But in general, you know, the, the same principle applies. Like, you'll never be turned away. Please don't ever let that dissuade you from getting services. There are people there to help you figure out how to make it work financially. <laughs> Trauma-informed. Yes. Harm reduction-informed. Mm-hmm. Destigmatized human beings. Yeah. There for you. It's good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And just one more time, that's 9 to 5 on Wednesday at the Moab Free Health Clinic. And then that community training in the evening is 6 to 7.30. Same location. I'll be standing outside waving. You'll be the one wearing the golden trout earrings. Yes, yes, correct. Yeah, I'll put those back on on Wednesday. Shining, wonderful. <laughs> now that I've sort of outed that you have to, but she looks fabulous. You'll recognize her by the fabulousness. Thank Standing you. Thank Thanks, you, Christy. I appreciate it. Thank you. And next, if you've just tuned in, uh, it is This Week in Moab. I'm Christy, your host today. We have 20 minutes left in the show. And now we are moving on to a thing called the economic diversification spend. Spend. Ah, it implies that there is enough to do that with, and that's exciting. Here to talk about it is none other than dear August Granith. Uh, from Grand County. Hi, August. How are Hi, you? Hi, how are you doing? I'm really glad to see you. Happy May. Thank you. Happy Monday in May. Happy the day after Mother's Day. Oh, thank you. What kind of uh, Monday was it for you down there at Grand County today? It's great. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Feels like we've been in a big vortex of chaos and transition, and it's starting to click back in a year. Um <sighs> And I would say that this project that I'm mostly here to talk about, I'm going to touch on two other things too, is in large part tied up to the, I think, turning a corner as a department in many ways. And, you know, obviously the context of what we're talking about is, is changes to state law. How do, we, how do we fund the projects that we as a community want to accomplish? Um, and kind of the re- basically unpacking the kind of outcome of that change to legislation, change to state code when that gets implemented on the 1st of July. Talking about the transient room tax that shifted how much money there is to spend on what? Yeah, so once again, for those who aren't um, kind of up to speed, transient room tax is a four and a quarter percent sales tax on lodging, short-term rentals, Airbnb, um, motels, hotels, commercial campgrounds. The state has rules about how the county can spend that money. About two-thirds goes to what they call a mitigation, or which typically is um, law enforcement, search and rescue, kind of the, the, the added costs that are borne onto our local service providers just to take care of these additional people that are coming here. Um, and then the other third is um, kind of more of a projects bucket, and then it's thir- further divided into three subcategories. And there's a kind of establish and promotion of tourism, and that can be all the way from planning to development to product creation. Um, I think it's there's a notion that it's purely advertising, and that's just not true. Um, but generally, it's you know in this tourism ecosystem is how I like to phrase it. 
for we for a couple of years ago, Grand County was granted the flexibility to spend about a million dollars a year on economic diversification projects, which loosely, very loosely defined. Um, and then there's another smaller category that supports recreation films and conventions. Um, that's what funds the Film Commission. It's what funds part of our trail crew, um, you know, referred to as Trail Mix or the Grand County Active Trails Department. Um, and what happened with the state law this year was <clears throat> the sunset, a.k.a. the repeal date for that flexibility on transient room tax funds, was basically just accelerated three years. So we were supposed to have until 2026 the change to style change to state law meant that that change is implemented July 1st of this year. So we thought, you know, we had established this grant program, a star grant as kind of the first pilot program of this diversification funds with the ethos of we're not sure completely as a community what economic diversification looks like, but we know it generally follows the guidelines of driving towards a more sustainable, resilient and equitable economy, right? We want people to be able to have access to jobs and opportunity that aren't explicitly tied to tourism, but there might be little corners that are relevant um, to tourism, but are, but they're still strong. Still looking at, uh, what was it used to, uh, light development, it used to be called. Light manufacturing. Light manufacturing. You know, Synergy Corporation is like the golden standard of economic diversification in the Valley, right? And so, um, long story short, um, those do- the allowance, the, the legal ability of Grand County to spend transient room tax dollars towards economic diversification activity um, is, is, is basically is liter- literally illegal um, starting July 1st. Um, and so where that puts us as a, as a county and as an apartment is we have some reserves that haven't been spent. We have money that we have accumulated up until July um, that is eligible to be spent on economic diversification activity, and now we have kind of another timer, ticking timer a little bit. A very short timer. Yeah. And so uh, we just do have to say that it is uh, unfortunate that before it could really uh, show its value, this idea of supporting a very uh, heavily impacted community, that uh, time's up. Yeah, uh, But you do have... Six hundred and fifty to eight hundred and fifty million dollars in this. Thousand. Uh, six hundred and forty-five. You said six hundred million. Six hundred thousand. There it is. Yeah. A another note. Yeah. That was uh, not. Yeah. An accurate note. It's, it's really all good. good to get that. Well, it's important because uh, there I am reading. So it's six hundred and fifty thousand to eight hundred and fifty thousand approximately. Two, okay, great then this is still a hefty amount of revenue for diversification projects yep. whose criteria include all kinds of things. Yeah, so you know what basically we're in this position where we have this pile of money. It's money that we haven't spent yet, and it's money that we'll accumulate. And we're kind of modeling approximately how much that is because we're not actually going to know how much money that is until um, August because we, we receive those dollars two-month lag. So we, we're kind of there's somewhat of guesswork in here to figure out how much money there is. But the important part is that ultimately we want to make good on the promise of, of utilization of TRT revenue towards economic diversification projects. And we want to do that in a transparent and an efficient manner. We have a couple weeks basically. And so, and this brings us to the survey, which is maybe an important place to, to, to land here. Um, and so we're, what we did basically was we started to explore, you know, what what is the if we need to be contracted by the end of the month, 
what types of projects that would support economic diversification goals would we consider moving forward to additionally fund? Um, there are a few that already exist. Yep. So, so I'll list the ones that are on the survey. Great. Um, which will be great. And uh, that includes a revolving loan fund through the Southeast Utah Association of Local Governments. So they do this for um, their own community. They do it for some other counties and municipalities. But basically, they just administrate this thing. And what it is is you put a bucket of money in there and businesses, and you put rules on that bucket of money. And then businesses have an opportunity to say, hey, I'd like to, you know, buy this location for my store and and get low interest on financing. It's not a grant, so it would be a loan. Um, but then when they pay that off, it goes back to that same pot, which is then available to Grant County within our with the rules and regulations for kind of however long. So it's it's kind of a it's it's in some ways kind of a no brainer way to keep this money rotating within its uh, intended goal of economic diversification is, you know, put some guardrails around who's eligible to apply and what kind of projects. But then that, let's say $800,000 gets to circulate within the community more or less in perpetuity. So that's one, that's one that's listed on here. Um, We also have uh, the Moab Free Health Clinic has established the Moab Community Resource Center. Um, are hosting businesses, nonprofits, and other folks, and, and they've provided a couple of projects that we could potentially help fund um, that would drive, you know, the provision of workforce development projects or um, stuff of that nature. Um, some of that could be infrastructure development at the building itself. Some of it could be soft rental space. Um, we've contracted with the Utah State University Small Business Development Center. Um, we funded them for three years completely. Um, so another another way forward is just extending that or, or or augmenting that contract basically and, and continuing to ensure that those folks um, who who we've started to interview for that so that's hopefully going to be filled soon. Um, that's exciting. Yeah. So there's some educational opportunities which would come back around and recirculate yeah. the goods here in the area. I'm interested, uh, I want to ask you about the Wildcat Micro Fund. What's yeah. that about? So that's the fourth one that we kind of have as like a shovel-ready, ready-to-go option. Um, that's based out of Weber State University, and it's it's kind of an entrepreneurial development fund. So um, the, the idea is that you, you pitch your business idea, um, to this panel that has a you know funding related to it, and then you get funding. You can get marketing resources, um, and it's somewhat similar to an RLF, but maybe slightly more structured. So it's more focused on um, how do we increase some entrepreneurial activity out here. And so what that would pay for would be basically administrative staff within the small business development center to help get people into that program and manage the you know the administrative behind the scenes stuff. So it's not we wouldn't be contributing to the pot of money that's going towards resources. It would be leveraging administrative capacity to get more people from our area into that program. Okay, so a, a first, second, and a third hand way yeah. to support uh, diversification. Yeah. I, I, you've got so much going on. I, I, I'm, I'm looking at on. you energetically. <laughs> it's almost like there are always several plates spinning whizz, like this. And you probably have a couple that you want to lay down here and talk yeah. about. What else is going on? Well, I'll say before we move on from the survey, so that closes on the 17th, Wednesday. Wait so. a minute. Day after tomorrow? Yep. I think I already took it. I'm just going <laughs> to economic 
for those who for those who'd like to participate, um, you can go to grandcountyconnects.com slash economic hyphen diversification. Um, so that's grandcountyconnects.com. If you just Google that, um, that'll get you to the county's website that hosts all of our planning processes. Um, it's where the general plan is and all the other stuff like that. Um, and you can find under that, you should find the economic diversification survey. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. It's so short. Yeah, this this won't take very much time at all. It's going to make a big difference because then you'll be better informed and you'll be able to exactly do well. So okay. in addition to those four projects that we just mentioned that you can provide your kind of on a scale of one to five, five being the kind of strongest, I feel really strong about this one. I don't think you should fund this one, that kind of opportunity. There's also a input box. So we want, we recognize that we probably don't have all the ideas. So if there's some really good, you know, concept or shovel ready program that we could likely have contracted in a month's time, that's an opportunity for the community, business owners, um, local organizations and agencies to say, Hey, before this goes away, here's our last minute. We actually have a project; it's ready to go. So, in addition to the ranking of the proposed projects, there's also an opportunity to submit additional ideas. Um, and then we'll be taking that this survey feedback. We'll be doing um, the board meeting with the economic development board at the end of the month. They'll be considering kind of the outcomes of the survey and passing that along to the county commission in June. Um, and so, hopefully, by the end of June, when this law changes, we'll have. Um, a plan of action and, and some projects contracted. Now, shovel ready is one of those things that's a, it's a wonderful phrase and it is more aspirational than uh, real most yeah. of the time. It's like when there's a grant coming up and the uh-huh. grant is due tomorrow and you've been dreaming about this thing, but now you have to write it 12 hours before you send it. This reminds me a little bit uh, about this. And so yeah. I'm arg. A bit. Uh, I, ideally, it's you already have a budget and you already have a budget narrative. You, you, it's done, done. You just need someone to give you the money and sign the contract. That's like our goal, which those don't exist very often. Okay, but. so what we're going to do is I'm going to turn to the west. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. You're going to turn to the east. Yeah. And we're going to imagine there's somebody between these right there. You've got your shovel ready. You have your budget. All you need is is the moolah and the support. Take the survey. Write your beautiful idea. Ask for the money. It's there for you. For another little bit. Only a little bit. Only a little bit. However, I I think the other things I'll talk about briefly before we run out of time is that this is, you know, this is kind of a step, stopgap, right? This is the funding we have for now. This is the mandate we have for now. It's, It's going away, but it's also an opportunity for us to turn the page as a department, as a county, as a community, towards how can clearly we didn't have consensus on this program. Some somewhere right. somewhere in the weeds, there was upset people, and those upset people were able to speak to our legislators, and those legislators responded to their constituents. Right, and so we're stronger when we're aligned. We're stronger when we have a joint vision, and in some ways, you know, this process kind of getting repealed is an opportunity for us to set a forward-looking direction agnostic of resource allocation to say, okay, what is economic diversification? How do we get on the same page and how do we go there? And so... Sweet reframing. I like it a lot. It's very positive. So we're in the middle of a process of scoring proposals to do just that. So we're hoping to do an economic development kind of holistic planning process um, that'll start in July. So 
we have we received 20 or so proposals from various agencies and um, consultancies that do this kind of work of facilitating community dialogue and really getting to a point of how do we as a community as complex as disagreeable sometimes as we can be to identify those things that we can agree on and move forward and maybe set aside those things that we can't agree on and say we need to solve this or figure out a way forward and still love each other as a community and kind of bury the contempt hatchet a little bit. Um, it's for everybody's good. Yeah. So anyway, just to say that that's like that's what's coming up. So this isn't for me. I don't see this as like the end of, you know, diversification. Uh, end of diversification or, or or like holistic smart economic development planning. I think this is the beginning in a lot of ways. Mm. So two quick things I'll, I'll plug um, that are kind of in that vein. Um, Another opportunity for public kind of input and planning on March 25th, so that's next Thursday. May. Um, <laughs> thank you. May 25th at 6 p.m. at the mark. Um, uh, there's going to be an opportunity for folks who are involved or interested in the future of the Mob to Monument Valley Film Commission to provide input on kind of its organizational structure. Um, right now there's a proposal on the table to consider basically instead of having the grand county fund and operate and manage that it has been at the city it's been a nonprofit before to spin it off in kind of a nonprofit status to be funded by grand county um and to drive more revenue towards it from other sources and so if that's something that charges you up that you have an opinion on that you care about the local film industry um etc um then show up to that there's also a survey that you can fill out that's an rsvp um, that includes if you can't make it, here's my thoughts. And that, oh, good. And if you go What's to dis- that? if you go to discovermoab.com/film. Oh, I'm I'm doing it right now. Yeah. So let's see if Discover this works live. Moab. <laughs> <laughs> dot com forward slash film. That's right. Okay. Let's see. And it's just a little. It's a redirect to a Google survey, but. Okay. Now we get to test Christie's big fat thumbs, and it works. Help shape the future of Moab to Monument Valley Film Commission on May 25th, seeking input from stakeholders. Again, Thursday, May 25th at 6 p.m. And the RSVP link is here. I'm going to click it to make sure. Uh, It looks like there's even a Zoom. You can play that way if you prefer. Thank you, August Granith, for uh, hooking me up with that information because... (laughs) <laughs> I have opinions. Okay. And then there's another thing. I know there's one more. There is another thing. So tomorrow's county commission meeting day. Um, we have a couple things on there, but I think the one that folks probably would care about the most um, is that um, we've seen that kind of July from July 4th to Labor Day has over the last couple of years since the super sugar high of kind of the post-COVID era <laughs> has kind of fallen off, relatively speaking. So... June, July of last year, for example, July and August of last year were four standard deviations below average in terms of Arches Park visitation, um, which is kind of useful to look at, like, what's capacity. Mm-hmm. If Arches is looking at timed entry to figure out what's ideal capacity and we're below that capacity, that's kind of a signal that, you know, we have room for more people on these weekends, days, months. And obviously this is a tri- tricky water that we're navigating here is how do we figure out how to drive the maximum benefit from the tourism economy to the community without bursting also, at the yeah, seams exactly. and making it awful. So so what we're looking at right now is that this, the spring's been really quiet and underperforming because of the winter has been so phenomenal. 
everyone skied longer than they usually do. It was winter here, as I think everybody who lives here and maybe doesn't like winter so much is very acutely aware of was a strong, long, cold winter. So our outfitters, especially, and others didn't have the greatest spring. And so we're hoping to do a summer marketing campaign. Um, it's been um, approved at a smaller budget level, but tomorrow the county commission is going to consider increasing the budget towards that. So if that's something you care about or interested in, um, they'll be considering that at tomorrow's commission meeting. But by and large, the focus is where we have capacity in the middle of the summer, we have our staff ready to go and we're not filling you know, as much rooms as we'd like to see and driving as much TRT revenue to our county so that we can right. fund law enforcement and search and rescue and all of these other things that we're talking about because it really is our top line revenue driver. Um, we're hoping to do that this summer. And within a lens of how are we doing that responsibly and respectively and, and adding not just come visit Moab with the Delicate Arch, but also stay on the trail and be aware of BioCrust. And, you know, so we're doing actually the way it'll work is you'll click on an ad on a website. It'll go to our website to kind of a blog post saying, here's how to recreate in the summertime, um, which we're focusing on water-based activities. We're talking about... Um, <laughs> this is called a hat. <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, get on the water and come out at night. We have the beautiful dark skies. So, so get out and recreate in the dark skies and learn about the dark skies and kind of, you know, providing multiple entry points and longer form content to get people to come here. So those are my three. Fill up the survey by Wednesday, uh, Grand County Connects Economic Diversification Survey. If you care about film in Moab and Moab and its future um, from an organizational standpoint, come visit the market 6 p.m. on March, May 25th. Um, and uh, if you're civically minded, come check out the county commission meeting tomorrow. August Granith, uh, it is almost dizzying. How, like I say, all the spinning plates, well played, and thank you for doing all of the big thinking, caring work there at the at the Grand County Economic Development Office. Cheers. Have a wonderful week, and uh, we'll have you back yeah. after you get the survey back mm-hmm. so we can talk about what people want, sure. what's going to be happening from July forward. Sounds good. Thanks, August. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, it's This Week in Moab. We're wrapping it up. I'm I'm Christy with a heart of gratitude for you, Moab, for hanging out with us here in the public affairs living room of Moab at kzmu.org. 90.1, 106.7 FM. Uh, speaking of getting the down low of what the, uh, yeah, what the words that serve are, we're going to go to our youth with the word of the day. And then, uh, yeah, I do believe we've got some more news coming your way. Stay tuned. Love you, Moab. Moab.